Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Val. And this is a podcast about The Sopranos. And maybe other shows after we finish watching The Sopranos. Maybe, yeah, after watching this for the unknown amount of time since we've seen it so many times. And, uh... Yeah, we felt like on this viewing, we wanted to go a little bit more in depth. And so we decided to, after watching each episode, um, sit down and just talk to each other about it. We're married. That's true. Um, this is what we like to do. This is probably what we would have been doing if we weren't recording it, Absolutely. so we might as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, episode by episode, um, our thoughts, maybe they're based, we've done a lot of reading, so maybe we might um, bring up some of the theories that we've heard from other people. Yeah, hopefully some of our own too. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So this podcast is called In at the End, and as we mentioned in this episode, this is one of the central concepts of The Sopranos that really carries throughout the whole series. And it comes from a quote that was in this episode, and I'm going to just read it now, and then I'll explain why we chose this as the title of our podcast. So Tony's sitting in Melfi's office, and he says, it's good to be in something from the ground floor. I came too late for that, and I know. But lately, I'm getting the feeling that I came in at the end. The best is over. So, I mean, I just love that quote. But we chose it as the title for our podcast because we're obviously not the first people to um, analyze Sopranos, write about Sopranos, podcast about Sopranos. Um, So maybe are we coming in at the end of Sopranos podcasts? I'm not sure. Um, we We still feel like it's a good idea for us to do. Um, the other element is that we've watched this show in its entirety a number of times. Um, so we have the perspective of multiple viewings as well as, of course, knowing what happens in the end of the series. Um, so in terms of this podcast, we're not going to be focusing too much on future events when we're going episode by episode, but this really is from the perspective of looking at the show as a whole. The other reason why we like this podcast name is because this is kind of how we do this podcast. We're not scripting. We're not editing. um, We're watching an episode, and then we're coming immediately and talking about it at the end of the episode. Um, And then Alex doesn't really like this point, but I'm going to say it anyways. Um, I feel like The Sopranos was the last great TV show and perhaps Mm. the end of great TV. Um, I'm still open to, you know, something else that's going to catch me, but... I think there's been great TV, but perhaps this is the greatest. It was definitely part of a golden age of television. (laughs) It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Um, I also think the show is a show with so many levels and a purpose of this for us and for anybody listening is to kind of unravel what those deeper levels mean. And I think the filmmakers and the creators of this show have an intention to communicate a lot through The Sopranos. And I think there's a lot going on and there's a lot of themes, there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of ideas that flow throughout the entire series that connect the characters and connect everything that's happening in the show to some larger ideas. And we're trying to figure out what their intentions were to the best of our ability and to figure out what the show is really about. Because there's a very strong 
plot. There's a very mm. strong narrative. But I think that underneath that, everything symbolizes so much more. What we love to do is try and figure out what that is. So we just wanted to talk about it, which is something that we do anyway. And we wanted to get our ideas out there and try and figure out what the show is really about. Because I think that every time we watch this show, there's more and more ideas that come out. There's a psychological aspect. There's an aspect of generations. There's, there's, there, there's, there's so much. There's so much going on. And everything is so intentional and deliberate in terms of how it's all presented that we just wanted to try and figure out exactly what it all means. Yeah, so we hope you enjoy it. Where do you want to start? So we can start at the beginning. Well, yeah, that was something I was noticing in this one. I guess probably having watched this the freshest from the last time I watched it or the most recently since I last watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, just thinking about it in a cycle, right? So they they talk about that, like starting where you stop or coming in at the end of something. Mm-hmm. And of course, like we're at the beginning of it, but that's something right. that comes up right away in that first episode is like coming in at the end of something. And so I was thinking about in that episode where the characters are in the end. Right. Well, it's interesting to link it to like where the show ends and also how off-putting the beginning is with silence and then with the fade to black that we inevitably get Mm -hmm. to at the end. Mm -hmm. I also like the first shot. It's it's so disorienting, like the way that it's shot through the legs of the statue you're really kind of confused about the perspective and the acting from james gandolfini immediately it's like he's looking at the statue and trying to figure it out he's Mm -hmm. trying to kind of figure out what it means to him and it clearly means something to him through the way that he's interpreting it and then as we see through the show the importance of his relationship to other female characters and his mother that's obviously a bit of a puzzle for him that he needs the therapy for and he's there working out in his various ways is uh, a pretty central part of the show. Yeah, his face is amazing. There's like a number, like it kind of goes back and forth between him and the statue and kind of does this slow zoom yeah. on his face. Yeah. During, and it's just like, it's perplexed, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's a great face. Yeah, I find he it, has a great face. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's also interesting the way that they capture that first frame, the choice to have it through the legs. It's like mm. a very emasculating shot. Mm-hmm. So for a, uh, a show that's about the mob that immediately starts driving away from New York and starts off with the, essentially the mob boss, even if he's not the boss right now, um, seen through that kind of lens, it's, it's immediately signifying that it's going to be a different kind of show and that the, the focus and the characters are going to be kind of seen through a different lens. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. We typically see. It's interesting, actually, the thing I was thinking about there, just in terms of Melfi, is I'm always surprised at kind of the immediate level. I mean, he doesn't respect her all that much in the beginning, but he treats her differently than he treats other women. And when he goes into that, like, which part of the boot are you from, hun, or whatever, like, that's kind of out of his character at that point. Um, and even like when he gets in there, he motions to her in this way, like saying like, which chair should I sit in? Right. Um, instead of kind of taking control of that scenario or that scene, like we see him do in other parts. Right. Um, I I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if he would have had a female doctor or psychiatrist in, I don't know, in life. It's an interest, like (laughs) just because of the way he, he does not show respect to women in kind of all the other contexts and she's always kind of special to him like throughout the show 
That's I right. I was yeah. thinking about it. Well, I feel like when he has that um, conversation where he's asking about where she's from, it's almost more indicative of how he normally acts towards mm-hmm. women. Exactly. Yeah, no. like that kind of... But then they kind of get taken out of that. It's interesting. The, what I actually... I would need to go back and watch it, but I feel like he actually goes into that too right after she hits a kind of hard-hitting question. I think it is about the ducks, maybe? No, uh, she brings up that uh, he told Kuzumano that he's depressed. Right. And then that's when he immediately, like, he doesn't respond to that. You right. Just, and then he changes silent. his focus to yeah. the uh, diplomas of hers and then yeah. kind of goes into this. Exactly. Kind of, exactly. Yeah. He starts kind of taking control of the situation yeah. by diverting the attention. But even looking at the diplomas, right? Like, that's something, like, that shows her qualifications, her yeah, her power, her, right. I don't know. Um, well, I feel like control is such a central part of this episode in particular. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like, yeah, it's a really interesting relationship between all the different characters. And I feel like it actually even plays into what the ducks mean mm. for me. Okay. I feel Do like... you want to talk about ducks? Well, a little bit. I'm, I feel like, for me, it was expanded a little bit by the subsequent episodes after this. And I feel like I had like a deeper understanding. And it's interesting to go back and be re-watching. But just from the first episode, um, for me, I think part of it is that the ducks... He he kind of hits this depressive episode when when they leave and he has a lack of control over them. They come and they settle in his pool in his area. Um, and when they leave, it's kind of out of his control. I also think for the ducks, we see them kind of emerge from nature. There's some shots mm-hmm. on when they come the nature out of the outside of his house. Yeah. So I feel like there's really his domain and then there's this more kind of like universal natural world outside of it and i think that in this episode we really see his world is really this convergence of what he does in his family life and what he does as a mobster and it's really um, intertwined everything's kind of brought together you have a lot of shots that are used in both of those worlds so you have the fire at at vesuvio's and then you have the grill right um, and you have the fire exploding even the way that they'll cut to scenes you have seeing Tony through the lens of looking through the fire of the grill. Mm-hmm. It's Everything is kind of intertwined, and David Chase is so good at, at taking these kind of symbols and tying everything together. But I feel like in this episode, they're really looking at Tony Soprano and him feeling out of control in his life and struggling with the various complexities of his life as a mobster and also his life as a member of this family. And the birds come in from outside of that world, well, but they're from, also from Canada or something Canada. is what, is what he says. Right. <laughs> but he's also powerless. He doesn't have control over them when they choose to leave. So he talks to Melfi about how he's afraid of his family leaving, but it seems like it's actually something more than that. Yeah, no. And, and it's funny, like for some reason, I don't remember that that all happens with the ducks just in that first episode. Um, mm-hmm. Because they are so kind of central. Um, and I went like, yeah, I like what you're saying about the the wild versus like his domain or, or where he has control over it. But well, even be... but even that like intrusion, if you want to call it that, um, of the ducks from the wild don't just impact him. Right. Like even though like he's the one who's impacted by it. Right. We have that scene where we first are introduced to Carmela, for example, um, 
where Hunter's asking her, how do you stay so skinny, Mrs. Right. Soprano? And she's kind of listening to Hunter, but she's looking out the window and she says, him and those ducks. Right. And so it just kind of shows how, I don't know, the things that are impacting Tony are also playing out. And he, he's not listening about AJ's birthday. He's... Yeah. Um, he's in the car with his real nephew, Christopher, and he's reading this bird book, right? Um, and not really listening to what Christopher has to say and like the praise or acknowledgement that he really needs. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the nature thing too, that also gets expanded Mm -hmm. later on in the show. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have the benefit of seeing this however many times we've seen Mm -hmm. it now, but for instance, in, um, is it, uh, I always mix college and university, but yeah. the one that's coming up soon, the, the classic college, the call it classic yeah. episode college. But, um, there's that, that scene there where he, he, um, it seems like he's kind of being judged by nature and mm-hmm. the way that the With scene is shot, and, it's yeah. shot through the trees. And, uh, there's, there's really kind of, it yeah, seems like, like there's a lot mocking of mocking in- him kind of, well, yeah. And it seems like there's a lot of intent in the way that the, the shots are, are made up that, nature is kind of like a, a prominent part of it and that it's part of what we should be considering mm-hmm. in terms of but it's also like it's that thing. balance also here like we don't you know on the whole in the show we actually don't get a ton of what's natural or untouched or right um uh like those moments are important because the rest of the things that we get really are garbage and bodies right. and their mansion and the things in right. it. Um, so those moments where he's able to connect to something or be influenced by something that's kind of outside of that realm are are also interesting. Yeah. Well, for a bunch of characters who are stating that garbage is their bread and butter, <laughs> yeah. there's a pretty stark contrast. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the environment of New Jersey where there's all this focus on kind of an industrial wasteland and these bridges and it's in stark contrast to nature. So I think it really stands out to be seeing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We can talk more about that, but I kind of wanted to talk about like our first introductions to some of these characters. Yeah. Is that cool? Yeah, that's great. Um, I remember like, so again, I've seen it three times, three this is my fourth time. Um, plus a few episodes. Um, I always remember when we meet Tony. I always remember when we meet Carmela. I always remember... I'm trying to think who else like stands out to me yeah. after watching a season. Um, I forgot how we meet Livia. Mm. And like kind of how we're thrown into Tony's relationship with Livia. And so right. that, that one stood out for me today. Um, yeah, particularly like kind of like, and she said some interesting things like about mothers and daughters, um, the whole thing with, you know, her, her late husband being a saint. Yeah. Um, whereas Carmela's telling Tony when he's in the MRI machine that he's going to go to hell when he dies. Right. So different, right? Like both of them are wives of these mobsters and yet those are well but then but then tony also says like well while he was alive that was never the case right it was only after he died um so again like um well and we also learned through the course of the show how clearly he wasn't a saint well totally through his previous actions in there yeah Yeah. um so that one that one stood out to me 
Um, I forgot how understated it was when we first see like Pussy and Polly when they're at um, uh, the sandwich shop. Yeah. And that, right. weird, and that weird filter that's on I it. I love like, that scene. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, I loved how when they're shooting the the group of, of the mobsters mm-hmm. and the crew, it's kind of from this low angle. And mm-hmm. it seems like they're really in control, again, of that domain. Yeah. Like, I feel like immediately they're pretty imposing. And the beautiful thing about that, the way it's shot, too, is that they really make Christopher to – they make him out to be on the side. He's really yeah. left out of that group. Yep. So at this point in the story, Christopher is really not a part of that inner crew. Yeah. And – um the way they're all interacting and the way Christopher's off to the side, it's it's very clear that he's not he's not a part of it. Even I feel like the the camera angles are are less imposing on on Christopher than they are on some oh, of the yeah. other characters. Well, even the different sides of the table, like we get one kind of from it's from Tony's perspective that it's kind of like shot up under his arm mm-hmm. almost, right? But then from the other side, we don't get that imposing yeah. angle. It's just it's kind of more straight yeah. on. You can see they're actually sitting at different tables like it's it's an interesting perspective thing i feel yeah like the show really is already establishing this theme of looking at at control and where these characters are in control and where they're not so i feel like there's already some symbols like tony with the cigar can Mm. signify that he's uh he's in control of a situation um or maybe trying to be in control or asserting that um, but also, yeah, in front of the, the pork store in this kind of comfortable environment, we have this kind of feeling of them being in command of that, whereas we're much more disoriented when we're in the therapy sessions. Mm. And talking about introducing the characters, too, I love just the, the acting and the layers of characters that are already apparent in those, yeah. in those sessions. Even when Tony's talking about his job to Melfi and the idea of there's so many levels to how they're communicating there's Mm. this kind of like overt level of there's an understanding of what he actually does there's kind of they don't say that in words yeah there's kind of an implication of what's going on but then there's more than that there's also this kind of window into their personalities too through the way that they're acting Mm. and and the way that that scene is written um and the way that that they wrestle with this kind of situation that they're in. It's amazing. And also just thinking about the shows that are on TV right now, it's so rare mm. that anything has that depth of character and the show just immediately comes out and has so much going on. It's unbelievable. I liked, uh, well, I feel like one of the main, one of the main themes was um, this idea of coming in at the end and this idea mm-hmm. of generations. Mm-hmm. So you have Livia and Junior's and junior. generation and then you have Tony's generation. Then you also have his kids well, and Christopher kind of somewhere yeah. in the middle of that. Like he, I think, I'll, I don't want to cut you off, but he really signifies, like Tony does complain a lot about the change, right? Like he's like, the, the people don't have values these days like they talk to the FBI. Yeah. Right? Like, and that's for Tony, like a sign of not having values, which I, I always think yeah. is really great. But like that, for like, he talks about Christopher's generation, whoever else that is, I really don't know. But yeah. Christopher's generation is being like that. Yeah, and we really see that play out. I mean, I feel like in terms of principles, the different generations embody kind of a different moral code. Mm -hmm. And we see that all these characters kind of wrestling with that and coming to grips with their own moral code. In a weird way, all these characters are extremely principled in Mm. a lot of ways, even though they don't act out in the best ways and they're very destructive. But it's very interesting to see in the setting of this mob world how 
principles play such an important part and how that changes through generation and how that impacts the relationships between these characters of, of different ages. Yeah. I had forgotten about that scene where they're disposing of um, the Czech guy's body, Emil's body. Yeah. Him and, and Big Pussy, Christopher and Big Pussy. Um, and again, that's kind of another one of those scenes that's indicative of that, right? They both have these different ideas. You know, Christopher really just wants to be given acknowledgement for taking initiative on this yeah. contract. Um, but Pussy's actually, like, thinking through some of the logistics about, yeah. like, you know, do you think that's really going to work? His family seeing him here, it's better just to let them keep guessing, right? right? Yeah. Um, and, of course, we see that so much in the show with Christopher. Yeah. I love, too, how... Um we kind of get a window into what generation they're from through these references too. We have like Christopher not knowing who Luca Brasi yeah. was and having to be corrected. How does by he Pussy. pronounce it again? I it's really it's very funny. incorrect. Yeah. yeah. Or you ha or also just the fact that Tony is referencing Gary Cooper. Mm. Um, that's very telling of his age too and what he was exposed to and, and what his values are and, and what fed into his values, what mm -hmm. kind of taught him what, like how to act and, and yeah. who to emulate. Well, and then we have, I, I actually, going back to Livia for a second, um, I think that kind of does tie into also when Tony brings her the record, the CD player with all of her old favorites that are now on CD, right? So yeah. it's like, um, I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is, but like taking these kind of nostalgic elements from generations past and those are kind right. of what get passed down but in a little bit of a bastardized way right. like those recordings were never made to put on cd they were made for records right. um or whatever right so it's yeah. but like there's these traditions and these um yeah cultural yeah. kind of icons that are passed down but sometimes people don't even know the reference yeah um so i saw that there too yeah, yeah. And I think that's a big part of the show is that all these characters in their own way are dealing with these things changing. I mean, the the show is such a timepiece, too, of like the late 90s, and it really kind of sets it up. But I feel like that was such a a time of transition, especially with 9-11, mm -hmm. which I feel like really has an impact on the show. Well, at this point, kind of just like the millennium, right? Like yeah. it really is like, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um. There was a few things that I really liked, actually. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, on that note, um, yeah. the use of the of the kind of doo-wop song mm. in the scene where Tony's chasing down someone. I feel like this is when we were reading up on this. That's actually one of the scenes that David Chase said was a mistake to, to put in the music after. But mm. it's interesting. I feel like the intent there is to link it to that generation. It's such a, a clear choice of music to come from the 1950s to kind of give that feeling yeah. and I feel like when Tony is in that state of chasing this guy down he's and so engaging happy. in violence he's so happy yeah and I feel like that actually is his kind of idealized idea yeah. of of this what that what generation I was about be doing where or he comes yeah. from and and it's it's this kind of it's simple for him but that's also where he actually is happy that actually might be where we see him being the happiest yeah he's laughing i i yeah. took note of that also it was yeah it really stood out yeah i don't know i kind of liked the music I, it didn't bother yeah. me um there were a couple other weird musical moments um that maybe stood out like kind of i don't know made me feel a little more not at ease like there huh. um but i can't think of them off the top of my head right um but that one kind of worked for me yeah 
There are some great shots too. I like. I feel like this show does such a great job of linking these ideas through shots and edits. So a lot of the time they'll be talking yeah. about someone in maybe a kind of coded way, and then it'll edit straight to them, that kind of thing. But for instance, there was also that first scene where we see Tony through the lens of the of the legs. The first scene that we have at the Bada Bing Club, which is kind of again like this domain of Tony's, when the strippers are kind of dancing mm-hmm. on the stage. And we also see there's him a very there. deliberate shot where the legs kind of create the same frame yeah i feel like there's this complicated relationship with woman for tony that he's kind of wrestling through yeah and that is kind of yeah imposing itself on his psyche for the whole show that's a whole that's i mean (laughs) that's really a whole thing i mean one of the things it's a scene i forgot again like it i love that's why i love rewatching this show uh when they go to the restaurant where he's just brought um, Irina, mm-hmm. I guess, and he goes with Carmela, and he's like, "I have something to confess to you." And her reaction is to like ready her wine glass. We laughed. Mm-hmm. We laughed at that. Um, but she's just like so used to this, and he actually probably for the first time kind of surprised her by then telling her. And right. her reaction is so comical. Right. Like it's it's actually a really funny scene because yeah. that's actually like more surprising or like emotional to her than probably if he was like, I have, I've been cheating on you again. Right. right. Like you, you can just tell, like she's heard that so many times. Right. She brings it up when he goes into the MRI as well. Um, but yeah, the, the thing that's interesting to me and maybe it's just like a personal, I don't know, personal thing is like how he, you know, pretty much all throughout the show has quite a good relationship with Meadow. And I guess we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like, as some of those key Meadow episodes happen. Yeah. But, I don't know. That, it, it surprises me. Like, like she goes to him when she's having trouble with her own mom, mm-hmm. right? Where he, like, is not someone who can really speak for any kind of, you know, relationship with one's mother. No, but, not at all. Um, but I guess yeah. that's also kind of this, like, domestic normalcy of their mm-hmm. life, too. Mm-hmm. You know, despite the fact that this is this kind of high adrenaline mob genre it's this kind of typical family environment where where those things kind of play out that way yeah yeah what do you i the other one too that was intriguing to me was when they go to the church so after meadows volleyball game Mm -hmm. they go to the church that was ostensibly built by her great-grandfather right um where where does like where is that in the show for you or what does it mean I think it's an important scene. I mean, yeah. at first, Meadow is just no comprehension of what he's talking no. about, no interest, um, which is typical of an adolescent character. You could imagine that. But at the same time, I think it also is relating to this kind of generational divide. It's by the point of her, you know, the, that level of detachment from generations, the idea of coming from Italy and engaging in physical mm. labor and building something is so far detached that it, it, it isn't really something that's of interest or can be understood at first. Mm. But it is important to Tony, and he does impart it, even though he doesn't really build anything in his life. And maybe that's why mm. he it's so important, or he comes across as mm. so important to him. Mm. It's this, this idea of his ancestors coming and actually building something. Because for the most part, he's just destroying things. Right. And for people who are making their livelihood off garbage, literally and metaphorically, 
that's a appealing yeah. idea. Yeah. And I think Meadow kind of does come around to it. She does kind of get it a little bit at yeah. the end. But it's it's important to them. It's important to their identity. I think it's important for them as Italian Americans to think of that that lineage. Yeah. I'm going to jump to two things and they're mm-hmm. kind of unrelated. One of them is what the one thing I was noticing during that church scene and as well as like there was a number of other scenes. We get our first kind of like skyward glances with the camera. Mhm. So you see them when the ducks are flying away. You yeah. see them as he like looks up at the steeple of that church. Yeah. And then we, I know that we get those in future episodes. Yeah. Um, like I think in college, actually, yeah. we get some of those like Definitely. skyward. Yeah. G- like you feel like you're Tony looking up. Right. Um, and I want to track that. I feel like that's yeah. something that was kind of important. Well, I also think there's also, uh, conversely, there's also shots going down shots looking straight down and you feel like it's a shot of judgment yeah when tony's going into the mri that's a shot going straight down yeah so i feel like i just want to pay attention to those things i I don't know where i'm at on those but yeah i feel like one thing that's really set up that i was getting from watching at this time is that it establishes a sense that tony's the narrator Mm, in that mm -hmm. it's really his perspective and his conflicts and his relationship to people the relationships between others definitely exist but i feel like he's really at the center of everything yeah um and i love the the introduction of um tony's relationship with junior where he says that um how much it hurt him when junior said that he'll never be a varsity athlete and that it was a tremendous blow to his self-esteem because i feel like that ends up being such a key part of his character later on when you have the um the sequence where he goes down into the basement and, and meets that varsity coach. And, yep. and it, it's huge. constantly coming back. And I feel like the show's looking so much at how people develop and how they're raised and where they end up and if they end up in, in an inevitable place or if they have any agency yeah. in creating the person that they are. But for him, that was such a pivotal blow to, to his confidence from that authority figure yeah. and from that family member. And that's an example of something that he could have done and he saw himself doing that was outside of this life and it was kind of shattered. So Yeah, well, it seemed like it's interesting how it's viewed because, like, it would be seen by some people and maybe, like, part of Tony sees it this way as, like, wasted potential. And maybe Junior, like, in some ways sees it that way. Like, he's like, how many fucking hours did I spend playing catch with you? Like, he like yeah. kind of brings up these things from... He often brings up things from when Tony was a child, right? Yeah. And that, I mean, holds all sorts of connotations. Right. But um, it kind of is, yeah, like, what would the what would another side look like or what would another possible outcome be like yeah. had these blows to your self-esteem not happened, had right. whatever not happened. Yeah. Again, um, that too, it's like everything is so, it's so woven together. Mm-hmm. The family life, the the raising of mm-hmm. children, and then this mob life too. He'd be taking him to Yankees games, but then mm-hmm. he's also holding, playing catch with him against him in a professional setting. So mm-hmm. it's all, it's all woven together. It's hard to escape. Yeah. Um, two other kind of random things, but I'm sure you'll tie them in for me. I was, when we were talking about generations earlier, um, when the guy... Mahaffey, Mahaffey, I think Mahaffey is what they call mm-hmm. him. Um, he, when they're on the bridge there, and he starts talking about um, these new generations of medications. 
Right. Um, and he was talking about how now with these this new generation antidepressants, they help you to control your compulsions. Right. Um, anyways, I just thought that was an interesting scene in terms of like new generations of all sorts of things. Right. Because right. in the show, like we yeah, we have these family dynamics that are going on within these generations like we talked about. But then there's also these, you know, technological advances or um, changing you know, like the job ecosystem, right? Like production and things like that go down and the garbage industry starts to right. decline midway through. Right. Um, yeah. And the whole HMO scam thing. Right. Anyways. Well, just... no, and I actually, I love that because Tony kind of has that monologue. He's talking at the beginning and he talks about coming in near the end and he says, mm. what do we got? And then when he picks up the paper, mm. when he's going down mm -hmm. and it shows that Medicare is, is going bust. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like that also reflects Tony as a character, his lack of awareness in what he's doing right. and how he's contributing to moral decay. Yeah. Because he looks at this, at this paper and at the world that, that he's in and he, and he feels like he's inherited this, this messed up world with no moral code. And yet he's benefiting off the destruction of the Medicare system. Yeah. He's when he's getting his MRI, for him, what's coming from that is a scheme to basically fleece that that industry and mm -hmm. make money mm -hmm. off of the backs of others. Um, so I feel like there's not that kind of self-awareness to realize that he's actually contributing to this moral mm -hmm. decay. Well, I think we see that, well, or at least a hint of that part of Tony um, that we only see maybe for the first time in this episode, but when they're at the bada bang and they're like kind of coming up with this plan, right? Um, his face is lit in just the weirdest, like mm -hmm. this like very dark and very menacing way. Right. Um, and then he kind of comes into a light part and you know, yeah, yeah. it's the lighting of the bada bing, but like he, it's so dark and it's so. Well, that was interesting actually because interesting. I feel like they were replicating the lighting environment of the MRI room. There was black and blue mm -hmm. lighting, and then it kind of mm -hmm. comes back in the butta bing back mm -hmm. room. And um, I feel like that's another ex great example of them trying to link two scenes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, I thought also oh, one thing that I really like that I was found really interesting is just looking at Tony's lack of empathy for other characters. Mm. Um, and one thing with the with the ducks actually is um, I feel like it's like a manifestation of of his empathy that he really he really cares about them and it's actually one of the only times in in the episode and the series on the whole where we see him really invested in the well-being of these other well, things it's yeah empathy they, but also i think pride like right. he like remember he, the very beginning he calls them out he's like they're trying to fly it's great right but then christopher's looking for him to be proud of him or give him those assurances right. so it's not i don't know if it's just it's even em only empathy i think it's like any kind of human connection or, or duck connection yeah. um or emotion like that actually like legitimately connects you to other people yeah well no no definitely and i think also it's interesting um in reflection to having seen the whole show where where the show leads and his relationship with Piomai, the horse yeah and also looking through psychotherapy of the idea of um psychopaths being able to um invest these kind of strong feelings into animals and to have love for animals and i think that it's it's an example of that it's that he is incapable already of of true empathy and it's um, coming out in these in these ways that are 
outside of his mm. human relationships. Mm-hmm. And even when we see him, um, like when Artie's restaurant explodes, um, he gives Artie a hug. He's just, but he's like not, he's not empathetic. He's really like, he's like just kind of buck up, get the insurance claim. Yeah, no, the right? attitude like, is always that um, it's not so bad. You're yeah, getting paid. Yeah. And kind of an aside, but I forgot that the first time we see Charmaine is when Tony comes in. Right. With Junior and her face. Her face is just so good. Yeah. Her face is amazing. Um, Yeah. I think that's kind of all. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. I mean, on the whole, the pilot just does such a. We see our first dream or hear about our first dream. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, With the. He fails to identify the animal that picks up his penis as a duck. Right. Um, and I love that scene's actually really funny also when he says there was some kind of bird, some kind of water bird. And Malfi's like, well, what, what other birds are water birds? And he's like, pelicans. Right. Flamingos. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really great scene. Um, but then they do talk about that's the, when Melfi and Tony have that discussion about these wild creatures and like when they had babies they became a family um but yeah it's our first it's our first foray into the dream the yeah. dream world anyways so. and that's that's an interesting one actually i find that i found that one kind of hard to crack and yeah. maybe that was the point it was almost kind of nonsensical yeah with the way that he was birds he was flying talking off about of your it. penis birds penises other stuff yeah the belly was... button the belly button imagery is really ooh. yeah he even had some references he was throwing out. It was all over the place. Mm. It, was, it was a very unorganized kind of dream. Right. The guy who used to fix his car. That's right. But it was very... Lincoln. I mean, the guy when yeah. he was driving a Lincoln. Um, I mean, dreams are like that. Right. Um, and yet, everything is so structured in the mm, show. And well, has such course. a purpose um, that maybe... I don't know. Maybe that was intentional. Or yeah, maybe. but, you know, Lincoln is also, like, a classic car, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, there is maybe some of that element. Like, he doesn't currently drive a Lincoln, I don't think. No, he's a Chevy, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there is, like, you know... And he does say, like, back when I used to drive a Lincoln. Right. The guy who fixed my Lincoln yeah. back when I used to drive a Lincoln. Yeah. So there's something there. Right. Whatever well. the whatever the ducks are <laughs> and his penis, it's right. something. Um, <laughs> um yeah. we'll figure that out. No. Um it's... Yeah, just kind of the last thing I guess I like was thinking about is how many times he says in the episode like I can't talk about that or I can't talk about my personal life yeah. or I'm not like but then he does persist to talk about some of these things even when he says he can't talk about them. Um, and so I think Melfi's claim, you know, like why he's feeling better. I think that is, there is something to psychotherapy hmm. for Tony. Um, whether hmm. that, Interesting. W- whether that's long lasting or whether that like leaves him off better than he was before. I don't know, but, um, he, he, he does seem to want to talk even though he kind of protests a lot and says, or, you know, tells these kind of, uh, veiled you know metaphors too um but even when he's speaking in metaphors like the feelings and the his experience is still portrayed in the same way to her so anyways well i think that introduces one of the main questions in the show is that is the therapy actually a benefit for him and i think you could also argue that at the end of the day it actually makes things worse 
Yes. So it's uh, it's a great introduction of a lot of the themes and yep. ideas. It's it's really amazing. The way that so many characters are introduced and are already so developed and interesting and these complicated relationships exist between this huge web of connected characters yeah. is, is incredible. Yeah. And the way, too, that they start to introduce these plot points, it's it's so efficient. It's such tight writing. It's yeah masterpiece. What about the sad clown thing? Sorry, that was one thing. When, yeah. when else do we hear him talk about himself well, as a sad clown or that, see him as a sad clown? That, I found, actually was a really interesting scene because I think that happens in response to Melfi asks him if he has any guilt about engaging in the line of work that well, he... Well, he's relating himself to his dad. He is. He also kind of largely avoids the question and he kind of misses the point. And I think it's, first off, it's kind of an example of his control over these social situations where he he's very good at, at deflecting from going places that he doesn't want to and also controlling conversations and, and lines of questioning to get to somewhere where he wants. Um, and it becomes, again, what he ends up talking about, it really is through through his lens and i mean we're really as a viewer engaging with this show as, of his psyche kind of at the at the center of it mm, and, mm. and we get this kind of interesting perspective of of him as this kind of unreliable narrator and, mm. and him as this kind of flawed character who's who's talking about himself but what i found interesting about that is how much he doesn't answer the question he yeah. doesn't he doesn't answer the moral cost to himself for engaging in this work yeah yeah. Oh, sorry. One, just This is random. Did you have another thought on that? No. Okay. Um, one of the things that I just thought also was really funny that I never noticed before was when they go to the retirement home and they're having a book group on Zora Neale Thurston mm. books, yeah. who's like a famous African-American writer. Um, and Carmela says, oh, like Meadow, didn't you just finish this in school? But you see this group of like white old people and then obviously Meadow, like we see Meadow's school at different points, right? right? Um, and so I think that kind of also introduces us to kind of these clashes of culture and right. things like that also. But I, I've forgotten about that moment. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, there's so much there's so much there's going on in the show. Every everything has a purpose, I feel. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, forward to watching more yeah, about it. I can't believe we're starting to watch this again I've lost track of how many times I've seen it so yeah. that's good it's a good sign yeah this is good this is good okay well, <laughs> see you next time <laughs> Bye.